Hey, good morning, church family. It's great to be with you this morning. Now, whether you're here in the room or you are joining us online, um, we've got a good morning ahead of us as we already have in worship this morning. Um, So for the past two weeks, we have been uh, learning from Jesus how to pray. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount um, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 13. Um, so far, we've focused on our, uh, that God is our Father, that He's in heaven, that He's holy. And then we've also seen that He is our King that invites us into His kingdom to be under His care and under His, under his rule. And this morning, we're going to turn a little bit of a corner. Um, we're going to, instead of looking at who God is, We're going to look at what God can do for us. Uh, So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. It reads, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. In these two verses, this short sentence, Jesus teaches us uh, to ask our Father for two things. To ask Him for two things. One, and that he would give us what we need for today. That he'd give us what we need for today. And two, that he would forgive us for the wrongs that we can't make right. That he'd forgive us for the wrongs that we can't make right. So we're to ask God to give and forgive. Um, So how do these two uh, requests, how do these two words, how do they fit together? We're asking God to both provide and to take away. And Jesus is teaching us that in the way that we talk to God, that we need to own our need We need to be willing to go before God and tell him that we need to be a people in need. Um, I think that one of the most amazing things that we can experience in life is childbirth. It's amazing, and it's also slightly horrifying if you've, like, experienced it. Um, But it's it's amazing to see these little humans come into the world. I, I remember when each of our four children, when they let out that first cry in the delivery room and, um, and looking at them and seeing just the helpless, vulnerable state that they were in, right? When a baby comes into the world, they really can't do anything on their own. So for our four children, we're feeding them, we're changing them, we're transporting them, um, we are protecting them, we're comforting them. Everything that they need, they have to depend on us. A child, a baby, has to depend on its caregiver, on its, on its parent. And I think that in a way, how God brings us into this world, um, it begins showing us, he begins showing us our true nature, showing us who we are, that we are dependent And then we end up spending the majority of our days trying to prove to ourselves and other people that we've actually outgrown that dependence that we're actually created to have. We are a needy people. None of us are independent, even though we would like to think that we are, for other people to think that we are. And that like a baby, the way that God has wired us, we're to cry out to our Father. We're to come to Him and tell Him what we need. And that He expects it. That this is the way he's designed our relationship with him to work. That when we have need, we go to our good father and he hears us. So I think that this part of the Lord's prayer, this one sentence, it's possibly the piece that is the most familiar to us. When we experience need or when we experience difficulty, we often turn to God. We turn to God for help. We turn to the one who hears us, who knows us, who holds all of time and creation in his hands, and we ask him to do the things that only he can do. So we either do it by reflex. It's, it's a discipline that we've ingrained in our lives, that God has ingrained in our lives. Difficulty comes, we turn to God. Difficulty comes, we turn to God. 
Or it's not by reflex, it's by necessity. We have exhausted every other possible option. And so surely there's got to be someone, something else. And so we'll turn to God. Surely he can take this mess and he can do something with it. But either way, we find ourselves, over, find ourselves there over and over again, needing something and asking for it. And I think, personally, that, um, that there's some sort of comfort in the fact that this is the way that God has designed us to work. When we have a need, we get to go to him, and that Jesus is teaching us to do this. That it's right, it's familiar, but it's right, and our good Father, he wants us to do this. So this morning, we're going to focus on four things, uh, four things that we learn from Jesus in this part of the Lord's Prayer. So the first one is that we need just enough for today. We need just enough for today. So we pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need at our most basic level. When we do this, we're confessing that we cannot even get through a day or three square meals on our own, that we need God to step in and intervene. We need him to provide and that he's the only one who can do it. We're asking him to give, but just enough for today. This, uh, the way that Jesus is talking here, it reminds us of the way that God cared for the Israelites when they were wandering around in the desert. They were in need, they needed food. And in Exodus 16, we see that God provides them with manna, with bread from heaven. And that it comes down and it comes down every morning and they would gather just enough for the day. They weren't to keep any of it for the next day because it wouldn't be any good. Just enough for today that God would provide. And so he would turn, they would turn to him uh, every morning, day after day after day after day for God to provide just enough, just enough for today. Not for yesterday because it didn't turn out the way that we wanted to. And not for tomorrow, because we feel like the anxieties may be just too much for us to bear. But just today, this day, God give. Our neediness, our neediness is rooted in our present circumstances. It's rooted in our reality of where we find ourselves. I, uh, I have confessed on many a Sunday morning to you all that um, I'm a man who likes a plan. I like to know what's coming, and I like to know what's coming after that, and after that, and the day after that. And if I could have a longer range plan, I would love that even more. But if we resonate with one another in this at all, the past four months have really done a number on me. Um, we can predict and we can plan as much as we want, but then we wake up the next morning and something has changed. Um, uh, news has changed, circumstances and at work have changed, in schools, whatever it is, we can't just keep predicting. So we're just aiming in the right direction and hoping that the target is someplace out there. And even that, even where we find ourselves today in this place of what seems like unpredictability, we have the opportunity to live just for today, asking God to provide just for today, because that's all we know that we're going to have. I've been consistently reminded over the past four months of Proverbs 16, 9, that the heart of a man plans his ways, but it's the Lord who establishes his steps. Or of later in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus tells us to not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for this day, one day, are the, is the trouble of its own. God, give us today what we need for today. Jesus is leading us to be fully present in reality where we find ourselves. That there's only one person that we can depend on for today. 
and tomorrow we'll be able to depend on him again for today. And the day after that, we'll be able to depend on him again for today. He's teaching us that none of us are independent, that we should turn to God even with our most basic needs. We're asking for daily bread. Bread was and is the most basic common food. Those who heard Jesus teach on the hillside, they knew exactly what he was talking about. And for us today, when I talk about bread, you know, you've got that bunny bread in the closet or you've got Sarah Lee ready to make your sandwich when you get home. It's this basic necessity that we turn to over and over again. And he didn't tell us to ask for a feast. Give us today the feast we should have, but give us just the basics. Give us this day our daily bread. He wanted to meet our needs in the most basic of ways that we would have energy and strength and the ability to physically get through another day. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but um, I uh, more often thank God for food than ask for it. When I'm hungry, I go to our pantry, I go to the drive-thru, I go to a dinner table, I go to the store, and there's food. I, I live in an environment, and God has positioned me in such a place that the food is there most oftentimes when I want it. So I'm thanking him for it. And even in that space, when I'm thanking God for the food, I'm actually turning to him and saying, God, you're the one that put this food on the table in the first place. I may have a job that earns an income and provides for my family, but really, God, you're the one that provides. You're the one that put this food on the table, the food in the pantry. I can't even depend on myself for that. I know that we're not all from the same backgrounds or circumstances, and so the idea of asking God to provide just enough food just for today, some of us can connect with that. We understand what that basic need is. But I'll say whether it's food or anything else that we need in life, we understand what what it means to be in want, to be in need, that we would find what we need in God when when we turn to him. When we think about the fact that God provides for us and that he gives us exactly what we need, there's this space where we land, where we are asking and he is providing and We are asking and he is providing. And it's this rhythm, this discipline that we find ourselves in going to him over and over and over again, that he would give us just what we need, just enough for today. Second, we need forgiveness for wrongs that we can't make right. We need forgiveness for wrongs that we can't make right. So we pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is where things uh, at times can get a little bit mumbly when we're praying the Lord's Prayer out loud together, just depending upon what Christian tradition you grew up in or where you learned to pray the Lord's Prayer. It could be debts, it could be trespasses, it could be sins, but essentially all of those things um, are saying the same thing in the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. So here in verse 12, we need forgiveness for our debt owed to God, our moral debt of disobedience to sin. We took and we owe. Later in verse 14, Jesus tells us to forgive others their trespasses. Our heavenly father will also forgive us in this same way. So using both of these words, talking about debts or trespasses, it helps us to understand this full scope of our sin, but that we, what we need from God is exactly the same. We need forgiveness. So we ask God to give, to provide And we also ask him to forgive, to release us from our debt to him. Because just like we all have this basic need for food, we all have a need to be forgiven, every single one of us. 
We have taken from God what is not ours by trying to establish ourselves as kings and queens in our little kingdoms. And we have trespassed, we have crossed lines that were never meant to be ours, trying to live in territory that's God's and not ours to possess. We've disowned our family and we've committed treason. And we experience the effects of this. We experience the effects of our rebellion against God on a daily basis and broken relationships and resentment and frustration and condemnation. We experience all the evidences of a rogue heart, a heart that is turned from God on its own. Instead of turning to our good father to be forgiven, we actually increase our debt. It's like paying off a credit card with another credit card. So you're really not being relieved of what you owe. At at times, you're often turning to a greater debt rather than relief. We do this by rationalizing, by rationalizing our sin and saying that what we've done is really not as bad as it is, that our offense towards God isn't really an offense or rebellion toward God. It's actually just this little mistake that I made, and it's going to be okay. Or we try and live in some sort of like Christian karma, that we want to out good the bad that we've done in a way that it's going to kind of level the scales and God will accept us based off of what we can do, off our own merit, rather than off what God has done for us. But the problem is we can never work hard enough. We can never do enough good things in order for us to be forgiven. The only way for this debt that we owe God because of our sin or offense toward him can be paid off is if God himself, the one that we owe, that he he makes the decision to wipe it clean, to clean the slate for us and say, say, you you don't any longer owe this debt. You're not bound by it. And the good news for us is this is exactly what God does for us in the death of his son, Jesus. That the payment that we owed God with our lives for our sin, Jesus takes for us in his death on the cross that he gave payment for the debt that we owe. So Jesus is leading us to do these things that don't really come natural to us, to commit that we don't have it all together, that we're in need, that we can't provide for ourselves, and at the same time that we need to be forgiven. Our resistance to both of these things, confessing our need and asking for forgiveness, they're rooted in our pride, our ability to not see past ourselves, to want to come across like we've got it all together and that we don't need anything, that we're sufficient on our own. But we can't because we're needy people. None of us is truly independent. We get to point three. We can forgive because we have been forgiven. We can forgive because we've been forgiven. So we pray, God, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When we say this, we have to be careful about what our heart hears. God, forgive us even as we have forgiven our debtors. Is this some sort of equation that we're praying to God? If, if this, then this. If we uh, forgive our debtors, then God, surely you will forgive us. We have to remember where we've just been. We can never forgive enough to equal the amount of forgiveness that we need to receive from God. If this is the case, we better be sure that we are really, really, really good at forgiving if that's the same measure by which God's going to forgive us. No, we're asking God to forgive us just like we followed his example in forgiving. We're asking God to forgive us just as we're following his example in forgiving. When we come to God, we're empty-handed. We don't have anything to give, only to receive. 
There's no good that we can bring that would convince him to forgive us. It's like this forgiveness that we extend to others, that we're, we're following the patterned example of God. It's this family trait that's passed down to us, that forgiveness marks the Christian life. So God, forgive us. Forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. Now, confessing our, our need, it may not be that difficult for us to just say it out loud, God, we need. But when we get to the issue of forgiveness, man, this is a hard one. Forgiveness is a hard, hard thing. We have to step forward in humility towards someone. We have to admit that we're wrong, that we did something that we shouldn't have and that we need a, a wrong relationship, a wrong in a relationship, that we need it made right. And that's a difficult thing to do. Oftentimes we will keep a list um, of those who have, have, have done wrong against us, just even mentally, and we know what they've done, and we turn to it for consolation. We turn to it even in justification and defense. Well, I don't want to go back in this direction with this friendship or this relationship, because if I do, then it's just going to happen all over again. We too easily hold on to these offenses, and we let bitterness and resentment set up shop in our hearts and operate out of there and cause us to act and behave in ways that are counter to God's design for us as his children. When we do this, when we won't forgive, we're saying, God, I don't need you and I don't need anybody else. When this is exactly what God created us for, relationship with himself and relationship with others. When we forgive, we're saying that we don't have any rights to hold on to. Nothing to hold on to because forgiven, forgiveness has been given to us. So what if instead of holding on to this list of wrongs, having these situations or circumstances that are just too hard to get over? What if we look at those situations, those people squarely in the eye, and we follow Jesus's model of forgiveness for us, just exactly the way that God is talking about us, talking to us about it in this, in this prayer? What if we choose to absorb those offenses, those things that have been done wrong that just sit there and eat at us? What if we absorb them and we take them to God and we lay them at his feet and we say, God, help me forgive like you've forgiven me because I cannot do it on my own. And we do it in this moment and then we do it in the next and then we do it in the next and we do it in the next and God shapes our heart in the way of forgiveness, the way that he has forgiven us. True forgiveness is not a one-time decision. It's not a box that we check, but it's a decision that we have to turn to over and over again. Martin Luther King Jr., he said it like this. He's quoted as saying that forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. It's not an occasional act. It's a constant attitude. Now, this is much easier to say than it is to do. I say these things and you guys are like, yeah, I get it. I need to not be resentful. I need to not hold on to bitterness. I need to be forgiving. I need to not lord things over people. But then there are situations and circumstances and even relationships where it seems like the, lists, the list of wrongs and hurts is really the only thing that is there in evidence for the relationship itself. It's so hard to see past the things that have, hap have happened that you don't know what to do with it. But the interesting thing about this is that there is no person that is an exclusion cause in God's design for us in forgiving. He, would, he has designed us in order to forgive the way that we have been forgiven. Sometimes the most forgiving thing that we can do in relationships like that is to hand our hurt 
over to God. To ask for the strength to forgive and then distance ourselves in that relationship in order to prevent further offense. We pray and we ask God to bring reconciliation in his timing, timing that's right and good for both people, for me and the one who has offended me. There are times where honesty, when we're trying to reconcile, it's not met with repentance, it's met with defense. And sometimes we have to process forgiveness on our own and we have to ask God to work inside of us. Because that reconciliation in the relationship, that conversation going exactly the way you want it to, it may never happen. But God's still at work in you. He's still at work in the way that he shapes our hearts and shapes our desires. Our ability to forgive, it doesn't come from someone's sorriness, how forgivable someone actually is. Even though that does make things easier at times, our ability to forgive actually comes from the fact that we are a forgiven people. We have been forgiven in order to forgive others. Later in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about um, an unmerciful servant. So he frames it like this. There is a king who has a lot, and there is a servant who owes a debt to that king. And the debt is so big that there's no way that that servant can repay the debt that is owed to the king. And so the king tells him, I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your wife, I'm going to sell your family in order to repay the debt that you owe me. And the servant falls down on his knees before the king and he's begging him for patience, begging him for forgiveness. And his, his begging is met with compassion from the king. And so the king turns to him and he forgives him. He wipes away his debt and tells him that he's free to go, right? So if you can imagine this kind of burden, you're almost, you're on the verge of losing uh, your family, your wife, your children, your own freedom, and it's just been handed back to you, your freedom and freeness from the debt that you owed, right? So you would think that the servant would leave that situation relieved and he would go running into the streets talking about the forgiveness that had been given, given him by the king. But the way that Jesus tells, tells this story, the servant does the exact opposite. He goes out into the street and he finds a friend, a friend that owes him some money. And he grabs him by the neck and he tells him, you, you pay me back the money that you owe me. And the, the friend says, I, I can't, there's no way. Can you just have patience on me? If you have patience on me, I'll figure out a way to pay you back. And the servant says to his friend, you pay me back now or I'm going to put you in prison with the rest of the debtors. And the friend can't. And so that's exactly what the servant does. Well, the king hears about this and the king is, he's furious. How could the one who had experienced such grace and compassion not return it to the one who was indebted to him? How could he not do it? And so the king goes back to the servant and he throws him in jail. There's a consequence for his action of not being forgiving as he had been forgiven. Jesus ends this story by saying that because God has forgiven us, so we're to forgive one another from the heart. And this takes hard work, friends. It takes might and ability that we cannot muster up inside ourselves. We have to turn outside of ourselves to do it. And we have to turn to the God who meets our needs. Point number four. God meets us in our need. God meets us in our need. We ask God, please keep giving and forgiving. But if God knows everything... He knows our needs, so why do, we, why do we have to tell him? And it's exactly in that spot where we're confessing, where we're asking that that is exactly where God meets us. 
We could go from seat to seat and living room to living room talking about ways that we have asked God for something to meet us, to provide, and he's done it. And we could also go from person to person and living room to living room talking about ways that we have asked God to provide to meet, and he's not done it in our timing or in our way. But when we meet him in that spot, when we meet him in that place where we're asking We're telling him what we need. He meets us there, and he gives us grace. And that grace, it changes us, and we need this from him with every breath, every day. He teaches us, even in our asking, that we can depend on him. And he makes us a giving and a forgiving people. Jesus leads us to come to our good father and our king to ask, to ask him to give, to ask him to forgive. We come to him empty-handed, nothing to give, only to receive. And he does provide. He gives and forgives. Again, not always the way that we want and in the timing that we want, but he provides. We we ask for a job. We ask for a spouse. We ask for a child. We ask for healing. And at times, those things are met exactly in the way that we ask for them to happen. But at times, we don't get that job. And we're still waiting on the spouse and we lose the child that we prayed for, and we grieve that healing didn't come. Does this mean that God doesn't hear us? That he tells us to ask him, and then he sits up there with his hands over his ears, not listening to what we have to say? No, our good father definitely hears us, and he knows our desires even better than we do. Even in this, even in our needs not being met in the time or in the way that we want them met, we have the opportunity to turn to him in disappointment and ask him to give us exactly what we need, give relief, give more faith, give hope, give us the things that only you can give that will never disappoint because God is more concerned about shaping the character of our hearts than just relieving our desires. He's more concerned about shaping the character of our hearts than he is about relieving our desires. In this section of the Lord's Prayer, the verse that comes before it is verse 10. We've told God in this prayer that we want his kingdom come and for his will to be done just like it is in heaven. And this actually sets the framework for the provision that we're asking for. We've said, God, we want what you want. We want your kingdom, not our kingdom. We want your will, not our will. Now, God, give us enough just for for today. Forgive us for the things that we cannot make right. So when the bread doesn't show up like we've asked, we have to remember that we can trust him and that his will is better than ours. In his timing, he's teaching us dependence. And in our waiting, we're learning more and more that we're not as dependent as we once thought that we were. We learn how insufficient we are to meet our own needs or to even actually be able to forgive on our own. When the bread isn't on the table or the healing doesn't happen or the wrong doesn't seem to be made right, we trust our good Father and our good King. We rely on His perfect will and not on our own. This one sentence in the Lord's Prayer, it teaches us to be honest with God about our needs 
And in doing so, it actually points us to the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we are a people in great need and that we have a God who loves us and he gives us the forgiveness that we need. He supplies our greatest desire. Oftentimes in this world, we leave it just like we came into it. Vulnerable, needy, no pretense, no inhibition, back to this nature that God has designed us to live in of dependence. It's like God is getting us ready to be fully satisfied when we step from this life into eternity. On that day, we'll take a seat at a feast, and not just feast on bread, but feast in the presence of the bread of life, Jesus himself. He's at work in our broken world to give us space for disappointment, to be met with true satisfaction, the satisfaction that we can only find friends when we depend on him, when we depend on him, satisfaction that comes when we take our neediness, when we take it to the right place, to the feet of God, and we count on him to meet those needs. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you today that you have created us to be a needy people, people who cannot get through a day without you, and that you have created us in our need for that need to be met by you and by you alone, God, the greatest thing you can give us yourself. So Father, today as we pray, as we pray that you would give us just enough for today, as we pray that you would forgive us for the things that we can't make right, that we would be a people who forgive just as we've been forgiven. God, that you would meet us in that need, that you would meet us there by the power of your spirit, that you would change us to be more like your son, Jesus, that we would carry out your character in a world that needs to see true love, true forgiveness, true hope, the proof of a God who loves people and meets us in our need. God, would you do that in us? Would you do that through us? And now let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.